right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. <laughs> From the Kissing Cousin Center in beautiful downtown Auburn, California. Ooh. Hi there, and welcome to the Cinescape Magazine podcast. We're going to talk about Tenant. Tenant is a 2020 action thriller spy film. It's written by Christopher Nolan, who also directed it, who produced it with Emma Thomas. Stars David, I'm sorry, John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Capadia, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh. It follows a secret agent as he manipulates the flow of time to prevent World War III. But Joe has some stuff to talk about. <laughs> Man, pronounced backwards, it's also Tenet. <laughs> it's a palindrome, yeah. my friend. All right. So this is the fascinating thing about Christopher Nolan as a writer-director, that even if you don't like his films, they get you talking about them. They get you thinking and... Ultimately, he gets your money one way or another. Because I mean, I've I've seen every one of his films in theaters, uh, his big films, starting with Insomnia back in two thousand and two. Well, I'm sorry, I don't I don't think I ever saw the Prestige in theaters, but I was in the middle of a shitty marriage, so we'll set that aside. So, but otherwise, I've seen every Christopher Nolan film, big one, by the way. I mean, since Insomnia in theaters, because you can see his passion for filmmaking he wants to make things that get people talking even a movie like memento that came out a couple years before insomnia i did not see that in theaters but that movie has you thinking because the whole movie's played in reverse and now talking about memento i'm like holy shit that's kind of like a form of tenet in a way is because there's characters that actually go in reverse and it's a it's a very clever concept that i don't believe it it's ultimately delivered upon like the the idea of it, the premise does does not get delved into enough, which is kind of a disappointment. But this movie does seem to be setting up a possible sequel, so maybe there'll be more room for more uh, exposition or whatever you want to call it, or maybe I don't just more premise because there's a lot of exposition in this movie. And the problem though is my brain doesn't know how to fully grasp. Th- intelligent sci-fi films like this the first time like with inception when i first saw inception i had a general idea of what they were talking about the dream stuff you know and the multiple layers of dream and how much quicker time goes by and all that stuff i didn't fully understand it and i had to watch it again and then i got it and now i understand inception so when i watch it i'm not confused when watching it because i've seen inception like six or seven times now with tenant i know for a fact that if I watch this multiple times, I will understand it more. And maybe I'll appreciate the first hour, which is a lot, even though there's some, there's some really good action in it, it's still a lot of explanation and dialogue that just doesn't go anywhere for me. It felt to me, it felt like a waste of time. There's something that Mike says that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I've used it against my kids now where I say, don't build me the watch. Just tell me the time. And it's kind of like this. The movie seems to be trying to build the watch for too long. But while it's building that watch, I'm not really caring about any characters in this film. There's some interesting characters, but 
and and it felt like okay there's a throwaway line in this film and it's near the beginning which is there's two characters interacting with each other john david washington's character who's called the protagonist and a scientist he meets with her and i think either she says to him or he says to her no personal information we don't want that to get in the way of what needs to be done and i think that that was put in there on purpose to explain the movie because the movie doesn't have really anyone to care about except for Elizabeth Debicki's character who's who seems to be the heart of the film but otherwise and then you know there's Robert Pattinson's character who's got charisma but there's still nothing like there's just dialogue the dialogue between everybody and I know I'm kind of all over the place with this in a way but it adds to the confusion of it all that's why I'm trying to relay how confusing this movie is because when they're talking to each other, especially in the first hour, and I'm not understanding what they're talking about, it's almost like they're they're speaking in poem to each other, like in riddle. And it, to me, it gets in the way of a good story that's there. It gets in the way of me caring more about their mission and themselves. And that's what that's my biggest problem with this movie. It's not the sound effects like a lot of people complain about. I actually didn't mind the sound effects because to me, the sound effects made sense the way they were when there's scenes where you can't hear the dialogue very well over the sound because in real life, when there's cars roaring down the freeway or bullets going off and all these things like this, you can't hear clearly. So to me, it made sense. And because the dialogue's so confusing anyway, I didn't really give a shit about what they had to say. So it's okay that a lot of the dialogue gets drowned out during action scenes. Not a big deal to me. Not really. I kept waiting for something amazing to happen in this film. And there's a couple times where there is something that's like, damn, that's really cool. And there's a twist where you find out certain things about certain characters. And it's good. But I kept waiting for some kind of bigger delivery by the end. And instead, it was... The same battle sequence filmed forward and backwards and with a bunch of uh, soldiers. And to me, it just didn't, it didn't pay off for me. It just didn't. I didn't, I, I, I was, I kind of, I was kind of left waiting like, hmm, am I supposed to be expecting more? Maybe it got built up too much, something. But I was left ultimately wanting more, but I also know I need to see this movie again because there's genius here. There's absolute genius to this film in the writing and in the action, the film of filming of the action sequences and stuff. There's some really cool stuff. When you see the protagonist fighting somebody and that person is moving in reverse as he's moving forward, fighting this guy. And it's so well choreographed and it's interesting. It keeps grabbing your eye as it's happening. And the mythology that is, is built around this, like if something was, in f- going forward in time and it's c- on fire, but then if it's inverted and going reverse in time, it does the complete opposite, which then it starts to freeze. And it's fascinating because you would never, I, I, I would not think about something like that. I would just think about basic things in reverse, not, not temperature. So it's interesting. I just wish the movie could have spent a better way, have done, have, <clears throat> I wish the movie could have executed the explanation of things better because I just, I just started getting lost in the dialogue. Like, Oh, Hey, there's Michael Caine explaining something with new teeth. (laughs) He had new teeth in his mouth and 
And I and I, I just like what, what's he talking about? I I what do what, I don't I don't even remember. Like I totally forgot Michael Caine was in this movie, which is funny because Michael Caine is in almost every Christopher Nolan film for the last fifteen years. But I don't remember even what the point of his character was in the film. I don't. And who Michael Caine? Yeah. He was he was a go between. He was the guy that he that everyone goes to for information, essentially. Yeah. So, and you know what? That's going to lead into both of us talking about this movie because I, I don't really have much more to say about it on my own. It's interesting. It's worth seeing, and I think that I'll appreciate it more over multiple viewings. I really do, and I and I do give Christopher Nolan a lot of credit for trying something like this. I really do because. Most people just, well, he's also got the, he's got the resume to back up his choices in doing things like this. So he gets the big budget to try this stuff out. But still, I'm glad that he, he's able to do stuff like this. Because only certain directors can get away with, with ideas like this instead of just doing another sequel, another superhero movie, blah, blah, blah. Like Tarantino, when he gets to make whatever he wants. Christopher Nolan seems like he gets, he has a pass to make movies based off of his ideas as well. And that's really, really cool. So I, um, oh man, I just, Christopher Nolan is, he's effective. He is because regardless of how I feel about this film, he's got me talking about it. He's got you talking about it. He's got a lot of people talking about it one way or another. And I am going to see this movie again. I'm probably going to buy it on Blu-ray so I can watch it at home again or watch it at home and watch it more than once. Cause I have most of his movies because there's something special about his films, except for Dunkirk. I, Dunkirk, I've already gone into a review about that damn film. But even though I have problems with Dunkirk, especially with the character development more than anything else, which, oh yeah, Kenneth Branagh was awesome in Dunkirk. He was like one of the positives when it came to the acting. <laughs> and then look at, in this movie, Kenneth Branagh is really good in this too, right? Love Kenneth Branagh and his Russian accent. So, but yeah, Dunkirk though is still an awesome film to see at least once because of how well the, the all the shots are done. But still... I can see myself revisiting Tenet. I can't see myself revisiting Dunkirk. How do you explain entropy? I know what atropy is. <laughs> or atrophy. <laughs> the French mathematician Lazare Carnot proposed in his 1803 paper, Fundamental Principles of Equilibrium, Equilibrium and Movement, that in any machine, the accelerations and shocks of the moving parts represent losses of moment of activity. In any natural process, there exists an inherent tendency towards the dissipation of useful energy. Building on his work, in 1824, uh, Lazar's son published Reflections on the Motive Power of Fire, which posited that in all heat engines, whenever caloric, or what is now known as heat, falls through a temperature difference, work or motive can be produced from the actions of its fall from a hot to cold body. He used an analogy with how water falls in a water wheel. There's early insight into the second law of thermodynamics. Carnot based his views of heat partially on the 18th century Newtonian hypothesis that both heat and light were types of indestructible forms of matter, which are attracted and repelled by each other. I'm sorry, repelled by other matter and partially on the contemporary views of Count Rumford, who showed that heat could be created by friction as when cannon bores are machined. Carnot reasoned that if the body of the working substance, such as the body of steam, is returned to its original state at the end of one complete engine cycle, that no change occurs in the condition of the working body. Heat to steam, steam to, or no, not heat to steam, water to steam to back to water, right? Yeah. 
I'm still. I mean, <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a dipshit when it comes to. We're this. not scientists, man. No, man. The first law of thermodynamics. We're not physicists. We're not chemists. Yeah, Rudolf <laughs> Clausius objected to the supposition that no change occurs in the working body and gave this change a mathematical interpretation by questioning the nature of the inherent loss of usable heat when work is done, i.e., or e.g., heat produced by friction, friction, like when you scratch yourself and or when you rub your hands together, right? Yeah. Clausius described entropy as the transformation content, i.e., dissipative, dissipative energy use of a thermodynamic system or working body of chemical species during a change of state. This was in contrast to earlier views based on theories of Isaac Newton that heat was an indestructible particle that had mass. So I guess entropy is the transformation content, i.e., when, like you have a bullet, right? Bullet. When when it shoots, it there's a, an explosion and it fires out. Yeah. And working body of chemical species during a change of state. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Is when the explosion happens and the bullet fires. <laughs> I'm I am not a physicist. I don't pretend to be one. Well, maybe I do sometimes. But uh, entropy is really interesting. Um, I have to say that the way that they're explaining it is essentially entropy is this. A bullet fires from the gun, it goes forward. Yeah. Okay? Inverted entropy is the bullet is coming backwards into the gun to its original state. Yeah. Okay? That's how I have to assume that it, it's it's working. So then in, in, in theory, the temperature is going in reverse as well. Right. So from it heating up from explosion to now going reverse. Right. So every yeah everything is is uh, in relation yeah so which allows them to move backwards through time. Uh, weapons are being manufactured in the future, and there exists a weapon that can wipe out the past. Now my big thing with this whole movie, like I didn't mean to get into the whole physics of entropy or whatever else, but I think it helps in ex- trying to explain this. Whatever shit. makes you helps you understand it better. <laughs> I'm all for it, dude. Yeah. Well, I I mean I because I barely understand entropy but i i get it on a base level which is as after reading that and then reading what is written here in the mm-hmm. wikipedia which is essentially inverted entropy yeah which tells me that at point a to point b essentially that's what i'm just saying yeah you you fire a gun and it moves forward because we're also dealing with backwards in time so entropy is they're they're taking it literally within the state of what um, that guy was uh, talking about, which is entropy has to go forward and then return back to its original state. Yeah, that's what he's saying, <clears throat> and that's and that's what this movie is about: going forward and moving back to its original state. This movie, every scene has something that's going forwards and backwards, and. In the middle of that forwards and backwards, there's a moment where you see something happen that has taken place already in in the far in the future of the movie. Yeah. And you're seeing it return to its original state. Mm-hmm. So it's bouncing all over the place. So it's it's genius in a way like how the ring theory with uh, Lucas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Tenet in and of itself, I was I was so entranced with this movie up until the final battle. Which, I mean, I was still just completely amazed with the way everything was done and layered. So you have troops that are A, B troops. Yeah. Or red, blue, right? And the red troops are moving forward in time. Yeah. The blue troops are moving backwards in time. And they're both doing the same exact thing. 
sort of. Yeah. Where w- w- one set of troops is going into a, a you know, location B. Yeah. Blue troop is going to location B. Red troop is going into location A, which is underground. And none of that happens. It all turns into mass chaos. Yeah. Except for the three or four people, which end up being two of them are the same people. Yeah. From two different groups. So you have, so the groups are all the same people. So red group, if you had numbered them or lettered them A through A through Z, yeah, are the same exact people as they are in in a B group, huh? A through Z. Okay. So basically, they're just mirroring each other. Okay. They've gone. Each one has gone through the turnstile. That's what they were doing with these on these big ships. Yeah. So when you see this, you see these. Um, what's what's the best way? They look like gigantic inner workings of slot machines where the old slot machines where they would have the rotating dials. Yeah. Okay. That's what they look like. So when, when um, I'm going backwards, by the way, in the movie, mm. when they are going into the battle, every one of those people has gone through the turnstile, but these turnstiles are not the same as the ones earlier in the movie, which are actually, you know, the doors that open and close like um Lando Calrissian's elevator yeah in Empire Strikes Back where it opens up and then it's circular inside yeah. or it rotates or whatever they are on edge they're they're basically just flipped on their side mm-hmm. turnstiles and then you walk into them standing straight up and then it rotates you know clockwise or counterclockwise I think it's cl- clockwise it rotates <laughs> clockwise yeah and then the other person steps out and then you have A and B so when in the movie when he, when uh uh John David Washington the, pro, pro, the the protagonist yeah let's <laughs> just go with that so when he's talking to the other not you know it's not um it's not Robert Pattinson it's the other guy so when he's talking to the other guy who he's befriended one of the other like soldiers yeah and he's asking I want to be on that team I want to be on the team that infiltrates yep he's like well you're already on the team. On both sides. Yeah. That's why we're not, we can't tell you who is in the other containers because they're asking who's in the other containers. Yeah. And everybody that's in red container is already in blue container. They just can't touch each other. You know, they're like, hey, just make sure you don't. Yep. And that that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So. And see what I mean? This movie's like smarter than I can comprehend it at the first, with the first feeling. It's so fucking layered. And that, you know what? And, And I have to say this before I forget it. This movie's important. Because it shows that there's still some originality that can be done in Hollywood. Yeah. And it doesn't, they don't have to keep relying on the same old predictable shit. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a rumor that they're going to remake one of the other, the, one of these other movies that just came out like 15 years ago. Um, and I've already forgotten what the fuck they're talking about in terms of remakes and redos. Dude, they remade Cabin Fever 15 years after the original. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, man? there's just no... They're they're not trying for originality. No. They're trying They're for, doing generational shit. Yeah. Generational profit. Younger people not realizing, oh, yeah, this already existed. Yeah, you don't have... You, you don't you don't have... I, I, I'm sorry to keep bringing all this shit up with, with the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, but, you know, like, uh, we'll just go back. You don't have Precinct 13 being made. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have a remake of it already, but it's not as good as the original. You don't have all the President's Men or Network or Jaws or I'll skip over the ones that I normally say (laughs) or uh, Ice Pirates or Battle Beyond the Stars, which are B-movies or, you know, Police Academy or Porky's or 
I mean, does do I need to go on Aliens, yeah. Terminator, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? You don't have studios relying on what could be. They're not taking risks anymore. Yeah. There, there is no such thing as a risk. It's it's all safe. It's all being counter shit. Yeah, it seems like you have to be a hugely prolific director to be able to do anything original or or risque. Right. Like Tarantino and, and Christopher Nolan. Yeah. You know? And those are the two exceptions that are actually making original movies. Yeah. You know, um, original, well, we original that are not essentially uh, superhero movies. Yeah, like even though I have problems with Dunkirk, it was a really cool idea because it the whole movie's done in the perspectives of land, sea, and air. The same shit, just from three different perspectives. Right. And it's well done. It's well shot. It just yeah. didn't care about anybody. Yeah, Dunkirk is not a movie that I'm... Like, I went for... Uh, the reason why I went to that movie is because of the aerial battles. I wanted to see the fighters fighting. Yeah. And I love that part of the movie. Everything else could have just sucked off. <laughs> so... And it did. Yeah, but, like I only cared about Tom Hardy's character because I knew it was Tom Hardy. But the, that's it. Well, the, the one thing about this movie is you have, you know, what is it? The uh, the 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 MacGuffin. Okay, the MacGuffin, which is the artifact. Yeah, the, which that's supposed to reverse the whole world is never fucking explained. Yeah, so I I got it from this. I got it from Wikipedia. That the device, those three pieces? Nine. It's nine well, pieces. I mean, I mean, it's three once they split it up at the end. Sorry. So those nine pieces are supposed to be a device that's going to um, invert the entire world instead of just one item or one person or whatever. Right. But it, it never explains. And I love that. I, I, I love that uh, part <laughs> of the movie because, look, it's called the algorithm. Um, I want someone to explain to me what the algorithm is and i'll bet you no one can explain it because here we're gonna go right to the source okay after watching tenant i picked up a few things this is from reddit i missed the first time around regarding the algorithm as a career software development manager stuck it stuck me that this was the word that was used except it was a physical object However, as Priya explained, the algorithm is an actual formula or process that was developed by future suicidal genius scientists to invert the world or universe, just like the A-bomb or whatever else, right? And she realized the only way to hide it was to convert it into a physical form consisting of multiple pieces and then invert the pieces and bury them in places that would remain undisturbed. Thus, the algorithm in the film is a physical mechanical equivalent of a printout of a source code listing like some C++ off GitHub, but in a more visually interesting format for a film than some torn sheets of paper. Ultimately, protagonist and the rest of Tenet needs to do the same thing that the scientists did, invert the pieces, hide them somewhere while inverted, then revert to normal time. In doing so, the bits of the algorithm will fail to exist at any new point in the future. They can't be dug up again because to any normal time flow person, they have always existed in the dirt and posterity dug them up at some point in reverse. I'm still confused. See what I mean? It's okay. just well, the mind. It's, um, oh, okay. So what, what he's saying is essentially is in order to hide those pieces in the future, you invert, right? Yeah, of course. And then you hide them and then you revert. And then it's almost as if they never existed, mm -hmm. you know, like, she 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 put it in the past. Mm -hmm. So if they never come together, does she still make the same algorithm? Yeah. Right. 
but you don't know what the future is going to concern. So they will always be there, but it's um, Schrodinger's cat. It's like a paradox, right? Right. Yeah. We know what Schrodinger's cat is, right? Yeah. You know, you put the cat in the box, it's either dead or alive. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You hide these and it exists or it doesn't exist, but you don't know. Does she make that or is she, does she exist in the future for changing the algorithm in the past? That's, it's a conundrum. Yeah. Um, I barely understand that whole thing, the algorithm. I wanted it explained to me. Yeah. But now that I've now that I'm a week separated from the movie, uh-huh. give or take, I don't care. Ago. It was a week ago tonight that we saw it, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't care about having the al- I mean, I have it on my phone in case I want to read it. I don't care about the algorithm in and of itself, that's just a MacGuffin. Uh-huh. That's just the, the the whole point of the movie is to get the algorithm, right? Yeah. They're, they're... It's their genesis. Yeah, their deus ex machina, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the, the genesis uh, artifact or whatever. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't matter what the algorithm is. It's getting to that point, right? And then solving the riddle. So... It's the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. How it and it was never explained exactly how they were going to use the algorithm to invert the world. Now, again, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's a machine, but they don't explain how the goddamn machine works because it doesn't matter. Yeah, it just does because that's the way that this movie is set up. You don't need to have. Uh, I have a device. We're going to use the device at some point, and that device is going to kill a lot of people. Okay, it's it's the nuclear bomb. It's the save the world. It's the James Bond thing. It's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The point is, is that there there is a threat and that threat has to be eliminated. Okay, and that's what I loved about this movie. There are two things I don't like about the movie. I didn't care for the battle at the end and I didn't care for the when he comes out of his coma, well, not coma, when he wakes up from the dead from the cyanide pill. And they leave him at one of those uh, uh, cancer-inducing. I'm kidding. It's not. That's, that's a that was a Trumpism. Windmills, windmill farms uh. in the sea. That made no sense to me. Like they just dropped him off there, and then he got on another ship. That ship took him to port. He gets into a car and drives off. Yeah. Right. And then and then essentially we start his second life. And and. Everything else in that movie works so well. Like when he meets up with Robert Pattinson, like the moment he meets up with Robert Pattinson, you're already on edge with Robert Pattinson's character because he knows stuff about, you know, Washington's character. Yeah. And yet Washington doesn't trust him. Yeah. Doesn't and then shit. all of a sudden there's some shit like you think he's a leak. You think he's the bad guy or you think he's. Yeah. And, and this is the other thing that's fucking genius about this movie. David, John David Washington's character does not believe in entropy yeah. until he physically has to experience it himself. Not yeah. you know, in the bullet thing, you know, where he picks up the bullet, yeah. you know, like the, like the force or whatever. Yeah. He still doesn't believe in the entropy thing yeah. because he has not really experienced it until he goes, well... Two things. Mm-hmm. He fights himself, which is a huge spoiler. Sorry. He ends up fighting himself yeah. in the movie, and then he goes through the turnstile. When he goes through the turnstile, he is a believer. He's slowly beginning to believe. When he is sitting 
in in the um the hotel lobby talking with Pattinson. Yeah. And Pattinson's talking to him about all this stuff and and they're not really talking tenant, but they're they are talking tenant. It's riddle, dude. Uh, yeah. He believes he doesn't he doesn't trust Pattinson, even though they've worked together in the past. He still does not believe him as he thinks he's thinking regular spy guy. He's thinking James Bond. Yeah. He's not thinking fourth dimension chest. Yeah. You know? So so he's not ahead of the game. He's behind the game. Yeah. And he's catching up to it. He doesn't he's and he's never ahead of the game because Kenneth Branagh's character, although um He's just your typical bad guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> understands the game. Tenant or tenant Washington's character protagonist doesn't get it. Yeah. And he still doesn't get it. Even when he's in the inverted world, he's, yeah. he's trying to drive the car. Yeah. Like he's trying to drive forward when he should have been driving backwards. Yeah. And that was the one thing that caught me is like, he still thinks that he's like a James Bond spy where he needs to adapt to this shit. And no one's telling him to adapt to it. Go with the flow. Yeah. In fact, I think they said that several times in yeah. the movie is go with the flow, right? Yeah. And going like he's trying to drive forward in a, in a world that's going backwards. Yeah. And he's like, like I said, so if you notice any of the stuff that every time he's, he's dealing with that stuff, he's going against the flow. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. And the, the, the genius of the film. I, I like the little twist too, where, where the first time they're fighting in that terminal or whatever, uh-huh. and Robert Pattinson, they're in Freeport. Yeah, and, and Robert Pattinson's fighting one of them, uh-huh. and then he throws the guy, and then he has a look on his face like he recognized the person he just threw, and he didn't shoot him. He was going to shoot him, right? And then he didn't, right? And then he realized, oh, it was him, right? He's fighting himself. Yeah, he was like, oh shit. Yeah, and <laughs> and and the other guy's sucking wind because he's inverted and he's in real, he's in real. The inverted guy is in real world. Yeah. And real world guy is watching him, his own self die. Yeah. So that's why he threw the helmet back at him, mm-hmm. you know, because it had the mask on there. Yeah. And, they, and then it, it, what's even better is like, if you think about it, like there are, so when, when you see the airplane going into the, the into the, uh, uh, the safe building, whatever you yeah, want to call it. Yeah, it caused the fire. Yeah. You see people running backwards. Yes. So... It he's like doing multiple takes. You see people running backwards, and then the plane going forward. Yeah. So the people that you see running backwards are Pattinson and John David Washington's character, plus a couple of others. Yeah. And then they 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 do it again, and they're running out of the. So you watch them run into the flames, then you watch them come out of the flames, and then the scene reverses, and you're watching from the point of impact where the plane is, and they're running out of the flames. Yeah. And you see them in coming towards themselves. Yeah. With the with the gurney. Oh my god! I mean, the the way that this movie is is built, mm-hmm. it had to have taken forever. Yeah, because he they from what I read the five years he filmed scenes in reverse. Like he actually had the you know I don't even know how to explain it, but he filmed scenes in reverse, right? Just so that it would come off that way. And I, I love. But I mean, he had to film each scene almost three times. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, it, it, now I'm not talking about like takes, like for for the actual release of the movie. Yeah, because you have uh, we'll just take that airplane thing. So. He's trying to, so they're trying to break into um, Kenneth Branagh's uh, character's vault. Yeah. 
and this vault is just it's timed release it's if there's a fire it has a a, a sophisticated fire system yep. that pulls all the air out like a vacuum and then they have uh concrete walls and you have to know what the the codes are and everything else it's 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 a very sophisticated vault yeah. that's exactly what this is in the middle of the vault you have the turnstile one of a one of many turnstiles and that's and and that's one of the big things that's that's hidden in the vault. They don't know what's there yet. Yeah. So when you're watching the movie the first time, yeah, that this happens. So they they rig a way to get into the vault, blow a plane through it, and use that as a, an excuse to get you know as an emergency because there's fire. You get gurneys and this and that and the other thing, and you have people rush in. You know the first responders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially, if you're wearing all that gear, they're just going to give you carte blanche to go anywhere you want, right? Yeah. And so that scene's filmed. Plane goes into building. Now he has to do a reverse where you see the plane coming into the building, just like in fucking airplane the movie. You know, yeah. where it crashes. <laughs> and you have to have all your characters do the same exact thing, you know, unless you have two unless you have two uh, cameras going at once. Yeah. So let's assume that he had two or three or four cameras going at once strategically placed so that you could get the film going. So you have one film filming forward, but it's going to be played backwards, right? You have one film playing forward that's going to be playing forward. So and those are at the opposite ends. And then you have catty corner to those uh, uh, at, at like angles. Yeah. You have one going forward and one go and one. So they're both recording. They're all going to be recording for, you know, forward, but you're going to play one backwards. Yeah. So, and then you're going to layer that on top of the other film that's going, you know, at a regular speed through the projector. Yeah. Right. And then the other one's going to be behind it in a reverse order. So you're, it's like taking two film reels, right? Yep. And matching, book matching them. You know, so that because on a film reel, when you have to put the uh, we have to put the movies on. Remember the 16 millimeter films? Yeah. You know, so you have the big square box where it runs through the light and then you feed the film down into that little spoked wheel. Yeah. And you can't pause it because if you pause it, it burns right through the film. Right. Because the, the light's burning so bright. So what you're doing essentially is the same exact thing where you have you have both of the film forward and backwards essentially one on one on the top reel one on the bottom reel and one's fed through one's fed through to the top reel so that it winds up it winds the bottom one to pull it forward yeah. or pull it backwards and the top one is going forward and it's being pulled through to the bottom reel and then and then that's how it works but if you if you remember how an old 16 millimeter film reel works is you put the film on top yeah. lace it through and then tie it down into the bottom reel and then tighten it just enough so that when it starts running the the bottom the bottom film reel is actually moving and pulling from the top reel to rewind it that's essentially what it's yeah. doing and then you so that's what they're doing isn't that funny we we had a weird bookend yeah we had a shitty movie with Bloodshot six months ago. It was the last film we saw in theaters. Yeah. And then six months later, we see a way better movie. Yeah. It, it was so good to get out to the theater that, I mean, I was... It, I, it was weird. It felt like we didn't miss a beat though, yeah. when we were sitting in there. It didn't feel like six months had gone by. No, it hadn't. But, you know, when when I got in there and I sat down, I, when we started watching the movie, like the trailers I could give a shit less about. 
And I'm usually a trailer guy. Well, I don't even remember the trailers. I don't either. At all. I don't remember the trailers. They were already going when we came in, though. I know that. Yeah. Um, I think there was there was one trailer that had been released that week that played. But yeah. other than that, usually I can I can remember which trailers played in front of any movie that we see. Uh, but no, I wasn't interested in it. I wanted to watch Tenet. So as the movie's going along, I'm just getting sucked more into the movie. Like, I was so impressed with the way they were doing it. Like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I see where they're going with that. And like, oh, shit. Now I don't see where they're going with it. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, someone go to fucking explain it. Get a goddamn mathematics teacher out here and start explaining this shit. Going to the movies every week for the past eight years um, has made me, uh, what's the word? Cynical? Pessimistic when it comes to the movie going experience because I'm always expecting people to be talking uh-huh. and to be playing with their phones. Yeah, there was a couple of people that were fucking around with their phones in the movie. I, well, luckily I wasn't sitting at that angle because I never saw it. Yeah, it was it was off to my left, okay. but, but I, I adjusted. I, but luckily, I only heard talking like once, and it didn't last for very long. Is it probably me or you, me talking to you? <laughs> no, no, it was uh, someone down near the front, someone who spilled their drink. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but no, I just, I, I was, I kept expecting it sitting there. Yeah, like, you well, started fucking cackling. Because we live in a, we, right now, everyone's acting really weird, uh, you know, because no one, ha- no, not everyone knows how to act properly. Everyone's in this state of confusion. Uh-huh. And a lot of people are being very selfish. Uh, like if you look on the roads, I, like when I'm driving on the roads, there's been a lot of people, it seems like even more than, like it's been slowly building where we're getting more and more Bay Area type driving. Yeah. Where it's very inconsiderate. Yeah, these people are fucking assholes. And go back. But I'm noticing, like, since this pandemic has started, that people are just uh, they're in their own selfish worlds more than they were. You can just tell by by behavior that, and it sucks because I think this is, should be a time where people should be more understanding and and uh, a little more considerate. But it, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes in a major event. Brings out the real character in people, right? Yep. So, you know what? Talking about this movie has, like, reinvigorated my idea about it. Because after we saw it, I just, I was so confused by it that I didn't know what to think of it. But now we're talking about it and hearing your enthusiasm for the action sequences, that makes me want to see the movie again, right? like, right now. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I'm glad. I'm glad for that. That Then that's why I think this movie is important. Because, look, if you if you're not too scared... To go out into public, you should go out and you should see. Go to go to theaters and go see Tenet on a big screen. This is a big screen type movie. Too bad we didn't see an IMAX, huh? Because uh, this movie was filmed in IMAX. Yeah. So. Um, I have a movie review that I'm going to do. All right. What is it? Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold. Have yeah. you ever seen that movie? Yeah, ne- never mind. Have you, have, <laughs> have, have you seen them? Have you seen both of them? The King Solomon's Mines and... I should actually do King Solomon's Mind before I do this one, because King Solomon's Mind... Uh, I saw... I think I saw them both in the 80s, and I've never watched them again since. Because all I can remember was they were pale imitations of Indiana Jones. Yeah. That's all I can remember. All right. So King King Solomon's Mines. The, the film... Okay. Where do I go with this? I'm going to do this first. Richard Chamberlain just doesn't seem to be a, a main leading man action figure for me. Like, he is not, but let me yeah. and that's, we'll get that, into that. That's all I got. 
King Solomon's Mines, a popular novel by English Victorian adventure writer and fabulist Sir H. Ryder Haggard. It tells of a search of an unexplored region of Africa by a group of adventurers led by Alan Quatermain for the missing brother of one of the parties. It is one of the first English adventure novels set in Africa and is considered to be the genesis of the lost world literary genre. It was published in 1885, considered... Uh, considered one of the great novels with billboards and posters around London announcing the most amazing book ever written and became an immediate bestseller by late 19th century. Explorers were uncovering ancient civilizations around the world like Egypt's Valley of the Kings, the empire of Assyria, inner Africa remained largely unexplored and King Solomon's Mines, one of the first novels of African adventure published in English captured the public's imagination. The King Solomon of the book's title is the biblical King renowned for both his wisdom and wealth a number of sites have been suggested as the location of his mines, including the workings of the Timna Valley near Eilat. The research published in September 2013 has shown that this site was in use during the 10th century as a copper mine, possibly by the Edomites. The Bible does refer to King Solomon having sent out, in partnership with Phoenician allies, trading expeditions along the Red Sea, etc., etc., etc. Haggard knew Africa well, having traveled deep within the content continent as a 19-year-old during the Anglo-Zulu War and the First Boer War, where he had been impressed by South Africa's vast mineral wealth and by the ruins of ancient lost cities being uncovered. His original Alan Quatermain character was based in large part on Frederick Courtney Sellis, the British white hunter. He was a, an explorer and a conservationist, famous for his exploits in Southeast Africa, and gave Haggard the inspiration and background for this and many later stories. So, we have that set up. Then we have this fucking god-awful movie. <laughs> so, the reason why I'm going with King Solomon's Minds first is because the film is fucking awful. It's terrible. It is a piece of garbage. Capture, trying to capture the Indiana Jones, you know, movement. Lightning in the bottle? Yeah. The Tales of the Gold Monkey... And a couple of other action movies like Indiana Jones or Tales of the Gold Monkey TV series. Essentially, King Solomon's Mind is a terrible, terrible film. Terrible. Terrible. Stars Richard Chamberlain, who should never be an action hero. He is not Just a fucking action hero. Yeah. Sharon Stone, Herbert Loam, John Reese Davies, who <laughs> was who plays Sola. the bad guy. Yeah. It was adapted by Gene Quintano. James R. Silk and directed by J. Lee Thompson, who probably died after making the movie. I have no idea. Ice Cold and Alex Cape Fear and the Guns of Navarone. Oh, this guy was known for the Guns of Navarone and Cape Fear. You fucking suck. He made those great movies, but well, it's a canon movie, so I can't really blame J. Lee Thompson. Yoram Globus, Menahem Golan, Golan Globus, Canon Group. And the music was done by Jerry Goldsmith. Okay. Who ripped off every fucking note from Indiana Jones. So, like, remember you have the the opening fanfare of Indiana Jones, dun, 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 right? Yeah. And then, so the you have the intro, just like any any um, musical number. Like in Sky Pirates, that there's little things in there in the in the theme song that are straight up ripoffs from from John Williams. Well, yeah. But when when you're listening to music, any music, it doesn't matter who it is. You have the intro, the chorus, the verse, or the verse, the chorus. Mm -hmm. Even you can have it backwards. It doesn't really matter. You don't have a set way of doing it. But generally, it goes intro, chorus, verse, 
and you know, back to chorus. Sorry, I have to go backwards. Strike that. It's intro, it. verse, chorus. We're gonna tenant this motherfucker. <laughs> And then it goes back to verse and then chorus, solo, you know, if you do a solo or whatever, and then verse, chorus, verse out, you know, or something along those lines. Well, what they essentially did was there's a part in Indiana in the Indiana Jones title where it goes from the fanfare, the actual Indiana Jones fanfare into this um, extended version of it, you know. So, okay. So we got that part. So that's that's that extended part after the fanfare in and of itself. Yeah. That entire part is reversed in King Solomon's minds, along with the Indiana Jones verse. You know the the fanfare. So every time that that Quartermain is doing something, yeah, you hear that you hear the soundtrack happening. It's it's bad. It's it's bad. I don't know why Jerry Goldsmith did this um, unless he was doing it under I'm, orders of. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Like like he was told, I want you to make it as sound as like you know keep me keep people thinking of Indiana Jones when they're watching this. Yes, exactly. So when the movie starts off, you are introduced to this. The, you are introduced to Sharon Stone's character. Her name is Jesse Houston. She has hired Alan Quartermain. Okay, we have no idea why. We we don't. I don't even care. But she's hired Alan Quatermain to find her father, who believed was who believed lost, who was lost or believed to be lost on an expedition to find the fabled King Solomon's mines, together with his companion, the mysterious Umbopo. <laughs> I mean, serious, it's just a bad, but it may have been from the book. Umbopo is a character. He's he's a black, he's African, true African, and he is he's from a tribe. Now, this is one cool thing that I liked about King Solomon's Minds is that incorporated all races, colors, and creeds, and everything else. And and you have real conflict mm-hmm. between tribes. You have real conflict between Germans and Africans. You have, you know, well, at least we have real screen time Hollywood, right? Yeah. But it's actual, the way that they did it was actually really well done. So, like, Alan Quatermain is not... I'm going to say the word racist because he's he's able to he hires and he and he gives jobs to all the tribes that, he you know, you know, people that are loyal to him and stuff like that. They come work for him. Right. Yeah. And so he hires all these guides and everything else. They work for him. And apparently he's independently wealthy so he can do this. Right. Well, Mbupo is basically his guard. He's with him whenever he's, he's 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 his guide, he's his guard, he's his confidant, okay. things like that. But Umbopo does not like modern day technology. So then that's that's one of the cool things about this movie is that the the guy that is a guide for Alan Quartermain in Africa or his essentially is his best friend. Don't take my picture. Yeah. He won't get in he doesn't like being in moving vehicles. Yeah. So in at one point, like as they're they're driving, it's like it's not World War Two. It's World War One, essentially, and the Germans are in Africa for one reason or another, and total domination. Yes, exactly, as always. And they so Quartermain and and Sharon Stone steal a truck to escape this fight, and Umbupo gets out of the truck at one point, and he's running in front of the truck. 
because he doesn't want any, he doesn't want to get into the fucking vehicle at all. Yeah. Doesn't want anything to do with it. Like B.A. Baracus on a plane. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's essentially the same thing. And you know, play fool. I actually like that, that there was, but this movie tries too hard to put comedy in with everything. And there are scenes where it's so dumb. I don't even know why they thought it was, would be a good idea to add in things such as like it started off strong. They capture Sharon Stone's dad. Mr. Houston or whatever his name is. Yeah. And they, they, they're tor- going to torture him to get the information to go to where King Solomon's Mines is. He has the map. He knows where it's at, just like Henry Jones Jr., right? And Quartermain ends up going into town. Like I said, it, there's no explanation of her hiring him or how it's even done. It's just there it is. They are together. They're driving towards town or they're going towards town. They end up in town. And, well, how do I even begin to explain this? <laughs> They're in an African town that has writing on on a lot of the places where, you know, like bars and whatnot in English, like the House of Isis. Okay. Like, there would be, that wouldn't even fucking exist. They don't care about, the English language didn't permeate into the world until well after World War One, World War Two. Yeah. And we're talking about Africa here where they are, you know, unless it's an American owned establishment, like this is, you know, again, another, this is the house of ISIS is owned by a man who is a, uh, essentially he's a junk trader, but he's a trader in antiquities, right? Not South Africa. Is- I don't know. It's, uh, I have no idea. I have no idea what part of Africa they're in. Okay. Uh, uh, what was that? The line of Africa or whatever the... It, the Lion in the Darkness, or well, even South Africa was taken over by the the the, 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 the Dutch or the Swedish, or I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyways, th- this is not matters that. to the South African. So, <laughs> so they're in this they're in this town where John Reese Davies' character is, where you have the German commander character is. John Reese Davies plays this bad guy, and it's again a, another awful performance, which. It's John Reese Davies, man. That guy could that guy could read the goddamn phone book and, and make it interesting, just like Gary Oldman. He's one of those great actors. He kept me interested in sliders longer than I should have been. Yeah, he wouldn't keep you interested in this movie. And he's a great actor. So in that's, that's a damn shame. And then you have Richard Chamberlain, who is playing an Indiana Jones type, and a, <sighs> all I picture is the Thornbirds, dude. I, I can't I can't take him seriously as an action star. Yeah, so you have so it ends up that Houston has Professor Houston has been captured by a German military expedition on the same quest. It's led by a character named Bachner, a single-minded, knockworst munching, bald-headed colonel and a ruthless Turkish slave trader and adventurer, Dugati, played by John Reese Davies, who is a long-standing adversary of Quartermain. You're still in the first fucking paragraph, dude. I know it's fucking ridiculous. So they end up in town. We'd be further in the movie if we were watching it. No, no. no. <laughs> we end up in we end up in the town. Yeah. And take the entire scene, take the, all the scenes from Raiders of the Lost Ark where Marion gets captured. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then make that stupid. Just make it dumb. That's what happens here. The almost almost beat for beat. The the horse carriage where uh 
you know, Marion's on the horse carriage with the whip, you know, or, or Indy's using the whip and the horse runs away with Marion, right? Yeah. Well, essentially the same thing, but with with um, Sharon Stone's character, where she is on the back of this horse carriage. It's it's like what um, uh, a fruit carriage or whatever it is, but it's a horse-drawn carriage. And she, they get into a fight. They end up there. On, God damn it. This fucking movie really pisses me off. They end up on top of the carriage and like something, uh, Quartermain shoots, the horse runs, and now the horse is running through the town or the village. And, well, yeah, it's a town. And people are trying to jump on the on on the carriage and Sharon Stone's character is trying to fight them off. Yeah. And you know when you throw fake punches when you're fighting with your friends, you know, you're making a scene, you, um, essentially you're you're aping a movie scene when you're younger. Yeah. You know, cuz it's your you, favorite movie. You just saw a game of death or something. Yeah, yeah, and so you're throwing fake punches. Yeah. You know, or or your friend who can't fight like just sticks out their arm, you know, like they fight wrong. Yeah. Those types of people, people that never learn how to fight. Yeah. That's essentially what happens here. Ugh. So Sharon Stone can't throw a punch to save her life. And then Alan Quarterman gets involved. So instead of running through the streets to follow after her, he's jumping along the rooftops. At one point, he even does the, um, the, uh, Olympic gymnasts, uh, the, 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 the parallel bars. Okay. Well, not the parallel bars, but the other, the, uh, unparalleled bar, the uneven bars. Yeah. Where you have to flip around them. He even does that in the middle of the fucking movie, in the middle of this chase where he's chasing, trying to save her from the horse. Were there velociraptors after that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. And, but he's, he grabs on, flips around and does, and grabs onto the other set of bars and then flips around. And then I was waiting for him to do the flip and then land on the horse, but thank God he didn't. And he ends up just running through on top of the rooftops and then jumping down onto the carriage and getting and then fighting with whatever. But when he throws a punch, like Richard Chamberlain is is a Shakespearean trained actor. Thespian. Yeah, he's yeah. a real actor. You know, not saying that Harrison Ford isn't, but Harrison comparatively, Harrison Ford is an amateur when it comes to acting. When when you're comparing him to Richard Chamberlain, okay. Oh, have you ever seen Regarding Henry? Yeah, Richard Chamberlain fucking acts circles around that guy. But that's the way he was him, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, 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 Peter O'Toole, all those classically trained British actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't throw punches to save their lives. Ian McKellen. So when you see fucking <laughs> Richard Chamberlain throw a punch, yeah. you get cringy because he basically just sticks his arm straight out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they escape out of town. After all the shit that's going on, they find they find the map while they were in the town. They know where they're going. They know how to get her father back. They're going to jump a train and they're going to get her father back and then go on in the middle of all of this shit that's happening. I just I, I have to make sure I, I have to make sure because I think you. Rang. So there's a part in the movie where they, they're escaping and, and they're trying to figure out a way to get to the train. And uh, fucking, that's the worst sequence I've ever seen ever. They're trying to sneak onto a plane, a German World War One biplane. And every time they see Germans, they use they they have her go forward. They have Sharon Stone's character go forward and try to entice them. She talks, she speaks 
she speaks German. And they start talking, and then, of course, out comes Quarterman. They, they beat him up and knock him out. And then instead of just getting into the goddamn plane, she gets into the plane. She gets in. There's a two, it's a two-seater, so she gets into the back seat. And then he has to start the plane up. Now, the way they used to start planes is you have to spin the prop and press a button. He's like, press the button, I'll spin the prop, and just hold the button down. So he does that. Of course, hilarity ensues. And she's in the plane starts going and he jumps out of the way. Alan Quarterman jumps out of the way. And then again, like I said, hilarity ensues. That lady's crazy. Yeah. So she's driving around the airfield in the plane and she doesn't, she doesn't realize that she has the throttle. She's not, she's holding the throttle Mm -hmm. instead of just, you know, releasing the fucking joystick. That's why they belong in the kitchen. (laughs) And, She's driving through around. At one point, they sped up the film, so you looks like the plane is doing circles, and you know it's doing donuts. Yeah, and and all I can think of is fucking Benny Hill when I'm watching this. Like, what the hell? And then, so they finally get situated. Alan Quartermain jumps onto the plane wing and flies off. And, and, and all this, again, hilarity ensues. So he's holding on to the plane and instead of trying to drag himself up and get into the cockpit, you know, the plane's going up and down and doing crazy things and all this other shit. And, and then the bad guy plane shows up. All right. So you have, you have a camera. Oh, I forgot to tell you. So like 50% of the shots of them on, you know, with Sharon Stone and Richard Chamberlain are badly done green screen. Oh. Yeah. Like like police squad green screen style. Yeah. You know, like when you're watching Naked Gun, you know it's a fucking parody. Yeah. And you see people like flying in the background and he just keeps driving or he, he lets his hands off the wheel and completely turns around and starts talking to somebody, yeah. you know? Yeah. That bad. That's how bad it is. Yeah. And the planes are flying at each other. So you have Quartermain flying towards well he's holding on for his dear life and sharon stone's in the cockpit flying a plane and then this german plane comes up and shoots at them and and just like with any bad movie you know they, they cringe when the bullets pass by them yeah. or hit the hit the airplane and then who is the guy that played the police chief in frankenstein frankenstein mel brooks frankenstein uh, Kenneth Mars. Yes, and he was also he played the 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 German guy that had the pigeons in the producers. I never saw the producers. Right? And he he was in a whole bunch of Mel Brooks movies, yeah. right? Kenneth Did, Mars. A, I don't know how the hell I remember his name, but I do. Brilliant actor. Yeah. Brilliant actor. Do the Yeah. Unshacked. <laughs> I did the Hitler salute. And I did it in his form where every time he, he started going off and doing these. So when Kenneth Marr's character goes into these these German rants, his arm comes up yep. and he has to bring it down, you yep. know? Genius. It's genius. It's It absolutely is. This, is. this is not. So they have a guy, the German World War One fighter pilot reminded me of Kenneth Mars. Okay. Okay. It's not Kenneth Mars because these guys are caricatures of caricatures okay they're so badly written so he's flying he's like oh schweinhund you know he's always that word and uh sauerkraut and uh you know knockwurst or whatever you stupid knockwurst eating sauerkraut loving you know yeah german and it's just makes no sense he's like so 
you want to play chicken? And I'm just like, are you, what? <laughs> and the planes are coming in. He's like, I have never, like, he's talking to the people. He's talking to Sharon Stone and Richard Chamberlain, but, you know, they can't hear him because they're in a fucking plane with an open cockpit. Yeah, and radios didn't even exist yet in so, the planes. So he's talking to him. He's like, and you want to play chicken with me? <laughs> I have never lost a game of chicken. And it, like, who cares? No, A, nobody knows who you are. You've never been introduced into the plot other than you just, showed up in in a plane yeah secondly your character's going to die anyway so you, you know you're a nobody character and sharon stone so it cuts to sharon stone's character who has her hands over her face flying like this yeah. so the plane is just flying straight you know miraculously while she's she's screaming and and terrified and and all you know all this play acting garbage it's it makes no sense and she so they play chicken and he uh he dives away something happens to oh <sighs> this is what happened so he dives away comes up and he's and he's just looking around for him he's not even looking backwards he's just like where are those idiots right and please tell me they're not inverted over him essentially <laughs> she comes up behind him on the plane and Alan Quatermain miraculously loses his grip on the plane oh, and his legs are hanging out. So you have the dude, right? His legs are hanging out and he kicks the dude in the head <laughs> who loses consciousness. And then he's able to push himself up into the plane, which has stabilized now, regardless of everything else that has happened. It has completely stabilized enough for him to be able to crawl up onto the wing, yeah. which he should have been able to do anyways. And into the cockpit, he's like, I'll just take over from here. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. While the other plane, the guy gets knocked out from getting kicked in the head and goes into a spiral and crashes. Click. That's almost as bad as Shia LaBeouf uh, doing the Tarzan um, vine swing. No, it's not. It is not. It's not anywhere close to that being that bad. That sequence was. Eh, this is not like. I. You're gonna subject me. Fuck to yes, it? I am. You're gonna. What what kind of sadistic piece of shit would actually put this clip on YouTube? I would. What is f <laughs> <laughs> five minutes, and we're not watching all five minutes of this. You shit. bet your fucking ass we are. You bet your sweet arse. Angel of the City Cobra soundtrack. I'm even gonna just. I'm just gonna let it play, so that everyone can suffer in the same misery that I suffered. Where's the sound? Is she twirl. Is she twirling her hair? Yeah. Oh my god! Is she gonna bite her lip too? Oh, there it is. That was funny how the guy fell backward with his mouth open. Ah! <laughs> So here's the entire sequence. She's all she's wearing cowboy boots too, by the way. And you can hear you can hear the uh like I love Jerry Goldsmith, but this is Did you cut out the audio or, or the voice or No, the, I, I don't know. Is it just from that one? Okay. See? God the editing is horrible. Oh what's where's my plane? Oh no. Oh. Oh, that's horrible green screen. God damn. He's, he's yelling at her to let go of the throttle. Oh, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to oh. go back to the theater. Pratt fall. Yeah, that's pretty much what he said. I'm going to go back to the theater. This is filmed in California, by the way. Where <laughs> Mash, Mash was filmed. Yep. That's my first spot, dude. It's a, in fact, it's the same, same layout, if you notice. See? That's where they sped up the film. And then here comes the 
Oh, I'm going to hide behind a bush. Oh, it can't see me. And here comes. See? Oh, pratfall. <laughs> oh, my God. That cut was horrible. How about that cut? Oh, more Germans. I'm going to hide behind a bush. <laughs> the Germans are coming. See? He hid behind a bush. He, he stuck down into some grass. Where are they in the background? I don't know. She passed them, so what the fuck? <laughs> you can't even run like an action star. I know. You hear, now you hear the music? Yep. So now we, now just drag yourself up. That's all you have to do. Drag yourself up onto the onto the plane. They're in the air. What, what, they, what is going on with the... They, with, with the you, I don't even think they could be able to hear each other. See, then, oh, you had uh, stock footage there. See, I don't know I don't know what he's hanging on to yeah, on the wing. Yeah, like, damn, he's got some fucking... He must have, like, Spider-Man hands. He fucking punched holes in the wing with his hands. <gasps> oh, no. And then here we go. See? <laughs> no one plays chicken with me. Is that even a real person? Yeah. Is that a muffin? I never lose to chicken. See? Just crawl into the goddamn plane. I think that guy was a janitor at my high school. Absolutely silenced by how awful this is, dude. I'm. I was more intrigued by, by. Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and here it comes. You know, oh, now she got both her hands. Oh, you're nuts. You're crazy. Oh my god. What's happening? Yeah. Now where are all those fine huns? God, they're not even fucking trying, dude. I know. That's what, see, and then this is the part where she comes flying up behind him, and then, like, he, oh, 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 kick that guy, and it helps me, and then that. Some master race, he couldn't even handle a foot touching his head. And then that. Why is she watching him go spiraling down while not flying the plane? Why is she covering her eyes? Oh my god, that could be us? Are you gonna let me find a plane? Like, the, this is the same director who directed Guns of the Navarone. This had to have not... He, I swear to God, it, his name only was attached to this. He must have pulled his name because... It's not soon after that Shan Stone blew Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole production is just awful. So, imagine having to sit through that for two fucking hours. I have sat through shit like that for two bloody hours. I did it with the Sky Pirates. So, uh, what do they say? Uh, King Solomon's Mind is not a remake of the old Stuart Granger Trek. It's a sensational script, very much like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Tongue-in-cheek and full of adventures and stunts. Bullets flying, lions eating people, witches up in trees, all that stuff. Kathleen Turner was reportedly offered a million dollars to play the female lead, but turned it down because that role was way too similar to the one she played in Romancing the Stone. 
Sharon Stone was cast due to a misunderstanding when Menahem Golan demanded to get the Stone Woman, <laughs> but he meant Kathleen Turner. That Stone Woman. The film was shot on location in Zimbabwe. Oh, well, I'm already here. Yeah. <laughs> the crew included uh, a bunch of people. Um, uh, I was going to bring that up, that Michael, Michael, um, Michael Douglas... He played a really good. He's a good, very good actor, and he also played an action guy. That was great. Like say with um, uh, Ian McKellen when he played Magneto, he never had to really do anything action wise. He could just put his hand out and make things, you know, magnetically gravitate. Right. Right. And it was great because he's a great actor, and he doesn't have to be running around doing shit. It doesn't really have anything on the background of the uh, uh, production in terms of what I see. I'm not going to go traipsing around the internet right now. I gave Joe a taste of this movie. This movie is awful. Yeah, I sent it back. There's a goddamn sequel to it. There's a third movie to it. Is there a third? Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Skulls, or the City of Skulls. Never heard of that one. It came out a couple of years ago. I know that there's Alan Quartermain, the character who's played by Con Chonnery in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. No, there is another Alan Quartermain movie. Lost City of Gold is not any better. Uh, essentially it starts off just the same. These movies are just... You notice how the first movie doesn't have the, the main character's name in it. Right. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Correct. Then the second one, Indiana Jones and the... And then the Alan Quartermain and the... Right. And the Temple of Doom and... Yeah. And the Lost City of Gold. This one is not any better. The There's an actor in here. Uh, you'll know him. Not uh, Oh, Henry oh. Silva. Why does it? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Okay, that's just not a good picture, but I, I know. That's a, yeah, he was in the Manchurian. Because at Canada. first I thought that was Keith David. Yeah, he he played. He was or in David Sharky's Keith. Machine, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Yep, that guy. That guy. Yeah, so, it looks like he's like half Asian, half German, or something. Yeah. So if you gave him weird uh, Troy Palomalu hair, <laughs> swear to God, and put him in. Put him in uh, the Alan Quartermain in Lost City of Gold. In a Shaka Zulu suit? In a Shaka Zulu suit. <laughs> Thank you. And made him like a conqueror god but type. Yeah. So when so I don't want to, I'm not going to go too far into it because we've, we've talked enough about fucking King Solomon's minds uh, and well, the Alan Quartermain movies. But there, <laughs> Richard Chamberlain's character, Alan Quartermain, arrives in this city and it's, uh, it's, um, like a beautiful all white terraced city, you know, uh, painted white and stuff like that. Okay. And the people that live there are, uh, what do you call it? Uh, pacifists. And his brother happens to be there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Alan Quartermain meets his brother. His brother takes him to the leader of, of the pack who is played by Henry Silva. <laughs> and Henry Silva's character can magically speak English fluently swarma a spiritual guru and five Ascari warriors are coming to them across Saharan blah 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 <laughs> uh, the, high, the evil high priest Agon who is feared by all okay um, his two queens is uh, Nyleptha and the power hungry sister Soraeus now one of those is played by Cassandra Peterson the other one is played by Eileen Marson and I believe that Eileen Marson's character is the one with the short blonde hair. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So Eileen Marson is it's in like the movie. Michael Sarah. It kind of does. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. Michael Sarah, the wig. Yeah, there she is. 
So that's her in King Solomon's Mines or in, in uh, Lost City of Gold. So she has short hair, right? She's utterly just gorgeous. And doesn't need a bra. And she, as you can see, white with blonde hair. Not 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 um what would be appropriate for that area era of uh or area of the world. So, anyways, you know, High Priest Agon can speak all of them can speak fluent English because Alan Quartermain's brother taught them how to speak English in the three months that he's been there or six months that he's been there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fuck off. These movies are awful. But nostalgia-wise, it's fun to watch these movies because it's the mid-80s, man. You can see comparatively across the board good versus bad movies. Yeah. You know, you, movies like Explorers or, or um, Goonies, you know? Yep. Or, you know, any of those other types of movies. It doesn't really matter. Across the board. E.T. and Mac and Me. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, wasn't there another one in there? Uh, the Last Starfighter. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the Battle Beyond the Stars. Or, what? you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, Enemy Mine. I loved Enemy Mine. And then, uh, like I said, there's 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 a hundred movies. Ragtime was a great movie. That's about awesome. the 20s. Yeah, yeah. It's- and then The Cotton Club. And then, mm-hmm. you know, all, like I said, but you, what, what was so great about the 80s, not the 90s so much in terms of movies, was the amount of good versus meh versus really bad. Yeah. You know, A, B, and C. It's really what it is. Or A, B, C, D, E, and F. doesn't really matter how you want to work it out. But good, really good, middle of the road, and then really bad. And the 90s didn't have that. The 90s was either good or bad. Yeah. And and then that's when we started getting away from uh, allowing creators to create and then getting into the bean counters and the safe, the, you know, the complacency and this and that. That's Then that's what's going on with these movies. Uh, we went long, so we're not going to be able to do R tonight. But we're going to tease that. So we are going to be talking about a fan film that Joe that I found yeah. that I made Joe watch, and I literally I made him watch it. It's called Axanar. It is a Star Trek fan film in their own words. Yeah, that was supposed to come out back in 2017, but was cock blocked hmm. by J.J. Abrams and I believe Rick Berman, if I'm not mistaken. But I'll have to look more into that because there was talk years ago about Rick Berman and a couple of other people from Paramount that were trying to cock block a bunch of stuff and and uh, and try to stop fan films from being made. And of course, Rick Berman is no longer with the franchise. It's it's a uh, Kurtzman, and in some cases, Orsi. Orsi. Yeah. But J.J. Abrams has a contract with the people that make Star Trek so that any Star Trek that is made under Kurtzman's rule or under Kurtzman's reign or whatever you want to call yeah. it, he gets a piece of every Star Trek. So he gets a piece of Picard. He gets a piece of uh, that stupid cartoon, uh, Lower Decks is what yeah. it's called. And that's why there hasn't been any new Star Trek movies. Yeah. There is a fight going on. So it's kind of like milking a cash cow. Yeah, but um, there's a fight going on between Kurtzman and Roddenberry's daughter. Okay. I believe. And she's taking the franchise back. That's why the Quentin Tarantino movie never made got made. That's why the other Star Trek movie that was supposed to be made never got made. Number four, yeah. They didn't cancel it. They put them on hold. 
That's the story going around is that those two movies are ready to go. And it was Kurtzman that's behind those movies not being released. And the, the people at Paramount put those, those scripts on hold temporarily until they get this situation resolved. Kurtzman, for all intents and purposes, sounds like they are trying to get him out of there. So don't be surprised if in the next month or so, Kurtzman has been bought out or f- outright fired because of everything that's going on between Picard. There is no season three of Picard. Or season, oh yeah, because I think they already filmed season two, right? Yeah. So there is no season three of Picard. It's done, from what I understand. Uh, the The animated stuff that they were working on is done and Kurtzman is persona non grata. Get the fuck out at Paramount. They're done. That's the story going around. I'm not even going to even entertain looking into it. But when you hear multiple versions of that same story and they all say the same thing, which is Kurtzman has fucked up everything. And that during a conference call with uh, investors and everything else, his name was not brought up once. But there's also rumors that Kathleen Kennedy is out at Lucasfilm. We haven't seen anything happen yet. And it was supposed to happen like now. Either way until after the pandemic. I don't know. Um, maybe because it'll affect stock too much. I, I don't know. But uh, when there's a weird balance when you want to listen to the fans and when you shouldn't listen to the fans too much. Yeah. And with Star Wars, they listened too much. And then they started not listening enough. It kept going back and forth. And, it, and then they just, we got what we ended up getting, right? But with Star Trek... It's they've already done so many things that they need some fresh ideas and they need some new ground, and which we'll talk about later. Axanar, that was a good i good idea. Then they, you know what? Sometimes you should listen to the fans, especially when they're that enthusiastic and they're they're spending a hundred thousand dollars of their own money to make something they're not even going to make a profit off of. Well, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to make a profit off of it. They're actually trying to sell the series to Paramount, but that's not the point. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Richard Hatch was involved with that. And Richard yeah. Hatch, if you remember, was Battlestar Galactica. But here, here's the other thing with that. No, no, don't listen to the fucking fans. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. Like when you start listening to the fans, it affects your work. There are some things like obviously like when you watch Star Wars with Jar Jar. Yeah. Like the fan backlash in that in and of itself led to a diminished role for him, but he was never removed from the movies. So therefore, I mean, yeah, there are some things, but for the most part, if you let the fans control, if you let the fans tell you what they want to see, and then you start giving the fans what they want. And it's always the minority, the vocal minority fans that come out with these stupid, outrageous things. And then the demands become more and more crazy. Yeah. You know what I, what I, I want a little addendum on that. I think that fans should be listened to when it comes to ideas, like fresh ideas, like take consideration into it. You can't. About going in other directions instead of just doing the same old rehash. Right. But you can't listen to fans because if you take somebody's idea, they're going to end up suing you. Well, always give someone a a writing credit. They don't want to. Like what was cool about Star Trek is back during the the, um, Next Generation series, uh you could write spec fan scripts. And send them in. Well, half the people that, more than half, but at least half the people that end up ended up getting jobs w- writing for Star Trek: The Next Generation were fans that sent in fan fiction scripts. Do you know that there were people that made um, in 1973 a guy made a fan film for Star Trek? What's your point? I, I just I didn't know fan films went back that far. Yeah, they, they go back farther than that. 
Sure. <laughs> they do. I'm not telling you to look it up. I, I'm just saying, sure. I, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, for Star Trek, I mean, the, it, does, it makes sense. There's one that a guy made in 1985 and he actually got George Takai to come along and, and film some of it with him. Yeah. Amazing. Especially. So, I mean, when, when, when you get everything, when, when you're passionate about what you want to do, you'll do what you need to do within reason yeah. to get that job. Like I said, I mean, Star Trek The Next Generation people were hiring people off the streets that were fans of the show, that knew more about writing the show than the people that were working on the show. Yeah. And they they loved that. People, I mean, it wasn't well known, but the people that read the science fiction articles and whatnot, yeah. uh, the, the magazines like Cinescape, like Starlog or Cinefantastic, they would always say, you know, hey, you know, this guy got his job doing this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's that's the thing. It's, yeah, you can listen to the fans, you know, just like what you were saying, but it's to the point of you can't just listen to the fans. Okay, so when it comes to Axanar, when you see someone do, like if you've watched the Prelude Axanar film that's on YouTube, you can see that these people are good at what they do as fans. And it's like, hey, maybe... Have a little meeting with these people, you know, maybe hire them. Well, yeah, that and that's, that's, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about Axanar and uh, the four different uh, completed videos that they have. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get into more of the quote unquote, we're not talking about fan service. We're, we're talking more about fan films and reaching out to people that do this stuff and giving them work or, you know, bringing them into the production, you know, fresh eyes, yeah, fresh, you know, fresh ideas that could help or could hurt the franchise. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to talk about with this next one. So sorry that, it, you know, this podcast went way too fucking long. If we have things to talk about, we hey, have brother, things to talk about. You know what? It is what it is. Yeah. It's podcast. That's what it's for. Yeah. But when it comes right down to it, uh, all fan films, regardless we feel the same way about, which is give these cats a break. Give these cats a a test. Yeah. I mean, if you, like, the one, uh, well, we, I mean, we talk about Chris Notoriety all the time, but there's that other guy that did the Critters one, and he he, essentially, he made a fan film to get a job to work on a new Critters movie, and they, they didn't even, sci-fi didn't even give him a chance. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Their you make so- these fucking <laughs> shitty goddamn movies, these crocodile versus, you know, blister face. I got a theory on that. I think the reason why they don't want to bring quality people on because they want to keep the level at a certain thing. So they they, they have a certain budget, they spend that much, then they move on to the next shit and the next shit. Except the next they were, shit. they did an entire Critter series. So you're telling me that that guy couldn't do, couldn't work within the budget. Look, that's an argument for another time. We'll we'll deal with that later. But that's what I'm talking about is you give these guys a break. You, you know, you've heard of people that some people are just too qualified for a job. No. You never heard that saying? Of course I have. Well, that's what I mean. I think that it's like, oh, no, he's too qualified for that. We don't want him. No. We want to just keep the same old thing and then we move on to the next project later on. No, there, there's something else going on. Yeah. There's usually something else going on. It's not, there, I don't believe in the too qualified for the job. I, I believe in the, uh, the company's too scared to hire you. Too qualified for the job means that I'm not hiring you because you're going to take my job. <laughs> fear. That's what it means. Yeah, it's fear. It's fear of bringing lo- in another alpha, losing power. 
Yeah. Even the Jedi are afraid of. Yeah. Too many alphas in one room. No, not alphas. Just people that are afraid of losing their job. You don't have to be an alpha. Just the ones that are making the hiring decisions. Like the guy who was running Chernobyl. You got to watch the miniseries. <laughs> yeah. It would make sense what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. It's He kept throwing everyone else under the bus, even though it was his fault. He dropped yeah. the ball. Yeah. he wouldn't listen to anybody telling him. Because yeah. power. Yep. Power corrupts. Absolutely. That's all I got. All right. Later. <laughs> Bye. Oh, watch Letterkenny. Watch Letterkenny. Oh. Watch Letterkenny. Watch Letterkenny. One quick thing I forgot to add about Tenet. I love the soundtrack. I loved it. I love the symphonic, uh, the synthesizers type music and stuff like that. It added to the action for me. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch the movie again.